0: Welcome to Stories Still Unsung with Alamance Achieves, a podcast dedicated to highlighting voices from our community. I'm your host, Sylvia Ellington, and the conversation starts now. Welcome to this episode of Stories Still Unsung, where we are talking all things data. I am joined today by another exceptional guest from the Alamance Achieves staff, Allison Harmon, who's the data manager and visualization extraordinaire. Allison, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Sylvia. It's great to be here. Um, So I am so excited to be talking about the power of data with you. And it kind of feels like such a timely conversation after the week that we've had. But before we jump in, we're making the check-in question a staple on the podcast. Mm. So our check-in question today is, what is your lucky number and why? Cool. That is a great question. This is going to sound
1: extremely um, self important, <laughs> but I think, I don't know if it's my lucky number, but it's one that I pay attention to. Um, and that is my birthday, 324. I feel like I always look at the clock right at 324, especially when I was in school and it was almost time for the bell to ring. It would always be 324. So I think that sticks in my head as the lucky number as school is almost over, the bell's
0: almost gonna ring. I love that. I feel like the way my brain works, my lucky number should be an even number because like mm. that just makes sense in my brain. But when I was thinking about this question, the number 15 kind of kept coming up. So I'm gonna say my number is 15, but honestly, I think I just really like multiples of three and five, and three times five is 15. So you know, this morning, every time I looked at the clock, it was like 7.15, 8.15, and then we started recording at 9.15, so I was like, yeah, 15, that's my lucky number. I'm gonna say that's it. So I wanna have a conversation today About data and how we can use data to really tell community stories and create actionable change. So, we've been having a lot of conversations as a staff and really as a community about how we use data to advance equitable policies and practices that really improve outcomes for our kiddos, particularly our brown and black kiddos and their families. So, Allison, why don't we kind of start by you telling us what drove you to this particular work? Because I think you have a knack for being able to really contextualize and give meaning to data. Um, you kind of I say that you're more of like a data storyteller, which is a really, really unique skill to have. So talk a little bit about what led you to this work.
1: Oh thanks so much, Sylvia. Um, I, th- I came into this work because I fell in love with data. I was not a data person through for most of my life. I thought data was really boring um I thought spreadsheets were evil you know just data can be really really boring and um I had an opportunity to do some projects in school that and that allowed me to understand how data could be used to tell stories and to solve problems and as kind of these puzzle pieces to help us understand and make sense of the world and it has data has such a power if you can if you harness it to tell a story and to help us understand what's going on around us. And so I think a lot of times we think of data, we think of those numbers and statistics and spreadsheets, and it's really, really boring. And as a data manager now, I still really get bored by that kind of stuff. But I just love being able to take numbers and find a way to turn it into something meaningful. Something that helps us understand what's going on so that we can understand how we rally behind us a, a solution for it. And I think that opportunity to use data as a flashlight and kind of highlight opportunities and solutions where before we might not have been able to see them is, is really what drives me to do this work. And especially as we think about um, equitable solutions and what that looks like in Alamance County, data can be a really important force behind that.
0: Allison, you hit on so many great things, and we'll kind of talk about those a little bit later in the podcast. But you've been with Alamance Achieves kind of since the beginning. And like you said, we know data is a really powerful tool for change. But you also said data can be really difficult and almost intimidating if you're not used to working with data and really being able to make meaning of that. So using data is really a way we can kind of begin to cultivate this shared understanding of root causes and really work uh, to create solutions that move us towards action. And so with this knowledge comes the power to really make change and co-develop those solutions, especially with community, as we kind of seek to leverage some of our existing resources that ensure that our students and community are thriving. So with that being said, what does it mean for an organization to be data-driven and why is that so important to our work?
1: So for an organization to be data-driven, I believe that means just understanding, having an understanding of where we are as an organization and where we want to be. And so this doesn't mean we track every single thing we do. That is really intimidating. I think it just means focusing on data that's important to our results and having a mindset as an organization that says, you know, what we did really great last year. What contributed to those results, and how can we level up for this year? And it also means, or you know, our outcomes weren't where they should be, and they weren't, or they weren't where they should be for this one group or for this one uh, program. So what happened there, what went well, and what can we adjust? And let's set some goals around that using our numbers from last year. We'll set some goals, we'll we'll track where we are along the way, and we'll continue to make adjustments so that by the end of the year, we are where we want to be. And then the next year, we level up again. And so I think being data-driven just means we're taking the information that is available to us, that we can collect, and that's important to... Give us a kind of roadmap to where we want to go, and we're using it to make those changes and to always improve. And that's kind of what I love about like a data-driven culture. Is it? It says, you know what? We're human. We're human. We're gonna make mistakes, and we're gonna do awesome stuff. Let's learn from it, and continue to adjust and improve. And I think that's really where when we talk about systems change, data plays such an important role, and being data-driven plays such an important role because. If you look at a number that we want to improve for an entire community, so say we wanna improve kindergarten readiness as as one of the goals of Alamance Achieves, that's massive. We're talking about thousands of students. And if we say we want to improve it 20%, that's massive too. We're talking about a whole lot of people. But if we look and say, if we break it up and say we wanna have this goal this year, maybe we wanna improve it by 5%, what's contributing to our outcomes, how do we move it, and then let's do the same thing next year and just continue to level up. So I think that data-driven culture just helps us break things down a little bit, find what's meaningful, and drive
0: forward. And I think you're really kind of talking about this idea of continuous improvement, which is like you're consistently reevaluating your efforts to kind of see where your focus and energy should go to, and we've really at Elements Achieves trying to then embrace the like fail forward culture and taking calculated risk because we know even though we're trying to use data-driven approaches and evidence-based programming that it doesn't work out every single time. And that's just kind of the nature of the work that you have to be flexible and reevaluate. So can you kind of talk to your experience about your work with Alamance Achieves and how you've been using this like continuous improvement model yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think one of the one of the really exciting teams that's been using um, a continuous improvement model is the kindergarten readiness network. And they came together a few years ago um, as just cross sector folks, some field experts, teachers, um, childcare providers and teachers, early education experts. They all came together with this this uh, body of knowledge that they all had. And from the beginning, they used data through every step of their process. Their goal was to increase the number of kids who are ready for kindergarten in Alamance County. That's a big, bold statement. And what does that mean and how do we do it? So they used data to really understand the context, like where were we at in terms of kindergarten readiness in Alamance County? And at that time, there wasn't a system-wide measurement for kindergarten readiness. So, the school system worked to create one that could be used for to tell us a system wide story, which was really, really powerful. And that team worked to understand um, what to use that data and really understand what might be driving the outcomes that they saw from that data. So, this meant that they were using, they looked at a whole variety of data. They looked at the number of kids who were enrolled in early education. They looked at things like poverty. They looked at what kindergarten transition looked like. And they talked to families about their experience um, with kiddos zero to five. And they landed on a few um, things that they could really rally behind. They wanted to increase access to high quality early early education experiences. And they wanted to improve um, access to high quality kindergarten transition experiences both of those had data behind it that shows that kiddos who have access to these things are more likely to be set up to thrive in school. And by talking to families, they also understood that these were two places that our community could improve. So they rallied behind that and they began to, under, to develop some shared action plans. So they set a measurable goal to where they wanted to be that year. They set some focus areas. So instead of focusing on the entire county, they set. They looked at data, um, achievement data, and they focused on two school zones where um, they knew that maybe opportunities and access to resources weren't as strong in in those areas as in the rest of the county. And they developed some shared action steps that they could take to. Um, improve access to those experiences. So once they developed that action, those action plans, that was really when COVID hit. So then they pivoted to really understand how they could support families during with children zero to five during the pandemic. So they talked to families and worked to co-develop some solutions around um, improving access to certain resources that were really deemed really high importance, but really hard to get during the pandemic. So they worked together um, using a continuous improvement cycle to work to improve access
0: to those resources. So I I think you mentioned something really important, which is, you know, when you're thinking about systems level change, it feels like you're having to tackle like the whole problem, but really it's about making it manageable and using data to support those goals. So zeroing in on like one or two things that you can really put time and energy into and creating those actual goals is really important and also this this idea of being responsive to what's happening in community i think is something really important that you said because i know the the kindergarten readiness network did a lot of work shifting what they were doing to be responsive to covid but they were also still using data to support their projects in Using that continuous improvement process to, to evaluate the different phases and thinking, you know, okay, this is what we learned from families in our first round. How can we use the feedback that they gave us to make that even better the second round? I think that that was a perfect sort of microcosm of how important data can be to this work. So, thank you for sharing that example. I think that was a really good way of seeing that in action. So one of the things I also wanted to to talk about very similar to this is oftentimes this work can be very siloed and we're trying to get our partners to start using data in a really meaningful way to drive their work. But we don't necessarily have like in Alamance County, this big data warehouse where everyone's just funneling stuff into and we all have access to this data that we can use in our work. it's actually quite it can be quite a challenge to get really good data. So what are some what's a challenge that you've encountered with data and how did you kind of navigate that and how can our partners think to use data in a in a meaningful way?
1: I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think they're there are a lot of communities, probably most communities, really want to have this really awesome data set that gives us all the insight that we want and need to have to really answer our questions that we have. And it's just not there. I think a lot, we have a lot of really great data, but it is in separate places. And especially when we're thinking about telling a system story to really to really go, um, to a 10,000 foot view and look down and say, what's happening? What is driving these outcomes? What what are our outcomes and what's driving them? Who are our systems working for and who are they not working for as well? And so we really need to have that understanding if we're gonna start to kind of chip away and make improvements. And I think one of the big missing pieces is when we think about data and what data we prioritize and collect, a lot of times it's just quantitative. It's just numbers, which is really important to tell part of the story, but it only gets us so far. Numbers can only tell us so much before we really have to kind of dive down even deeper into the root causes. And when you think about it, the only people who can tell us the root causes of these outcomes are the people who are living it and experiencing, experiencing it. And so a big missing piece in our data as a community and our data as Elements achieves is community voice and so one that was a big challenge coming to it we could kind of drill down so far but then it stopped and it said well what's really driving these outcomes so one of the big exciting um shifts that we've made as alamance achieves and all of the Elements achieves partners is saying you know what community isn't represented in this work like it should be. There there aren't enough community members in this work. There isn't enough community narratives and stories to really help us understand our outcomes. So how can we shift our work? How can we shift what data we collect, what data we prioritize, and really focus on those narratives? So that has been one really cool uh, shift that's happened and we're still figuring out how that looks.
0: Allison, I really liked what you said. We kind of have to take a step back when we say data, like what do we, what are we really talking about? And you're right. Usually when we, we talk about data, we talk about the quantitative data, like scores from different instruments and assessments. We think about academic performance, household income and grades and such like that, which you're right. It, that tells us something that tells us part of the story, but it doesn't really give us context to those numbers. It doesn't really speak to the lived experiences of our community. So including community voice, is sort of a way that Alamance Achieves is trying to think about data in a different way. And really at the local level, trying to tell the the stories of families and and translate that into actionable practices and policies that we can really advocate for. Um, I think oftentimes, when we think about going out into community, we know that like you said, systems haven't worked for certain families and for certain communities. And so we really have to think about that when we're thinking about giving weight to community voice that a lot of communities have been burned in the past because people have come in and say, hey, like, we really want to know what's going on. They come, they ask, they collect the data and then nothing really happens. So as we kind of think about sharing those stories. How do, how do we begin to really advocate for systems change using using data that's grounded in community voice in and really give weight to that, you know, to say we trust what community has to say. You know, we always say those closest to the problem are closest to the solution. So we really have to, when community speaks up, believe what 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 they're saying is true to their experience. So how do we use those two in a complementary way that quantitative number data, but also weaving in community narratives that really contextualize what's going on. I think that is such a great question. And I really loved the way you put that.
1: So I think when we when we think of of how this data works together, it really is two pieces of the puzzle and we need both. We need to understand both in order to tell the complete story. And so I think when we think of how we work on systems change using this data as equals, I think we need to, I think we need to do two things. The first thing, one of the things we need to do is to see how this data tells a story together and really use data points from community and data points from the quantitative side to reinforce each other. And when we're telling stories we are using both we're not telling uh, a story of what's going on in our community without leaving out that community context like you are talking about we're not just focusing on the numbers because we're weighing both equally the other part is as a community just working together to kind of shift our mindset into how we prioritize the data because we have the power to collect the data that we want to collect as a community. So we have the power to decide what's important and decide what's not important when we're thinking about what data we collect. And like you said, historically, community voice data has, has been identified as not important when we know that it's really, really crucial. As a community, we have a lot of work to do Um, to think about what data we're valuing, where we're spending our time collecting data, where we're spending our our resources, and and really shifting our mindset to value both the quantitative and the qualitative, those community narratives and contexts, in the same way. They are both critical pieces to where we wanna go. And we will not get to systems change if we leave community voice behind, if community's not at the table, if community's not co-developing solutions, we, we won't get there. And so we really need to value those narratives the same way we, de- we value our outcomes and those
0: numbers that give us that insight. No, I, I think that's, that's perfect. And really, really the point is to tell this systems level story instead of focusing on, you know, an individual narrative from a family that may kind of lead us down the trap of reinforcing problematic assumptions that we might have about our community. And so data really is about storytelling. And that's why I called you a storyteller at the beginning of our episode, because it's kind of thinking, how do we begin to use data to tell a story that doesn't cater necessarily to a single narrative, but's grounded in community and is actually leading to change. And I think you 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 said something really important, which is we're not just shifting mindsets, we're also trying to shift power. And I think that's a really important aspect of giving authority and giving value to community voice is saying, okay, we want community not only to own the outcomes of what's happening, but also to to be a part of creating solutions and being a part of implementing those solutions every step of the way. And so I think that's something that we've really been exploring at Elements Achieves and what that really looks like. And we've had some projects come out of that. So I think that's a really interesting direction that our our work is taking us. So how, do, how can we be intentional about using this data to really drive co-development and creating solutions that lead to actionable change?
1: Yeah, Sylvia, that is such a great question. We're talking about systems problems and we know that systems problems require systems solutions and so for those solutions to get at the root cause they have to be responsible and accountable to the community to the things families say are important, to the practices that work for them, and to the practices that don't. So one really cool example of how to use data to hold accountability is from the health department which has been working for the last several months with community partners to explore a universal home visiting program. And so this type of program would connect every family in Alamance County to the specific supports they need to navigate the postpartum period right after having a baby. because we know that can be really stressful for families. And there are a lot of services for the, the mom, the parents and the baby that would be really helpful during that time. And we know that having access to those services increases health outcomes for uh, moms and babies over the long term. So this is really huge because it would shift the way we serve families in Alamance County. But first, before they did anything um, with this program, they wanted to, to make sure that this was a program families actually wanted and needed and that it would connect families to the specific services they find valuable. So a team of folks from Elon, Cone Health, Healthy Alamance and the health department talked to 40 parents who had recently had babies and they wanted to hear their experiences. So what supports were really valuable? Where were their barriers to accessing needed supports? And whether a universal home visiting program would have been a helpful addition during that time of their lives. Um, These narratives will directly inform the design of the home visiting program, which is just a really exciting example of how we can use data to be accountable to the community.
0: I I like what you said that, you know, we're trying to shift the narrative away from, you know, using the, the REI, like, lake allegory metaphor. It's like the fish level stories of like, oh, well, like, our families are... Disengaged or our students aren't doing well because such and such reason. But, like, really, the underlying, like you said, the root causes like, what is the underlying systems level issue that's creating this outcome for families? Because we know no matter who's in charge, or no matter if a family moves away and another family comes back, like, those outcomes are still being reproduced consistently over time. So we know it's a systems level issue, not a family level issue. And so I really wanted to to talk about this idea of using disaggregated trend data, because that really tells us, you said before, that the systems are working for some folks and the systems are not working so well for other folks. And we, we really have to figure out who, who those folks are. So when we talk about systems change, we have to talk about equity and racial equity and really in order to, to strategize and create pathways for policies and practices that are working for, for all of our students, but really focusing on the students that need help the most. Why is it so important that we're using disaggregated data to really see trends in what students are or are not doing well? So. We were talking about this before um,
1: we started recording and I really loved the example you brought up of, normally we just have one big piece of data that says, here's where we are. So for example, we, we have a piece of data that says about half of our kindergartners are at risk of falling behind in school once they start school. That's a really big piece of data, but it, it tells us a little bit, but it doesn't tell us a lot. It's a starting point. Um, who is at risk for falling behind? Are there children who are more at risk of falling behind once they start school and why? What opportunities do kids who are thriving in school have access to in the early years? And how do we expand those opportunities and make sure that all children have access to high quality educational opportunities before they go into school? Um, So when we're talking about systems change, we need to talk about equity and we need to really understand who's doing well, and to look at how our systems are working for people and how they're leaving people out. And so in order to do that, we can't use that one big statistic because it it doesn't really tell us anything. We need to drill down and really look at the disaggregated data, which is just data that says um, what the outcome is for each subgroup. So whatever subgroup um, you're looking at. So we need to look at disaggregated data, especially by race and ethnicity and gender to really understand who our systems are working for and who they're not working for. And so when we're thinking about um, co-designing solutions, they need to be built specifically for the populations who they're not working for.
0: So I think one thing, you you mentioned this with the looking at disaggregated data is, you know, w- when you are parsing things out and you start to see which students are doing well and which students aren't doing well, you know, we can. We kind of have an idea of who those students are. They typically tend to be our Black and Brown students that um, are experiencing the worst outcomes. And I think going back to this idea of focusing on the systems level story, it's really easy when you see the numbers and you see that our Black and Brown students aren't performing well to sort of ascribe or assume something about why that is. You know, oh, their their parents don't care or those students are are unmotivated, but we have to take a step back and really think about, you know, what systems factors are, are really driving that. And we think, you know, we have to look at racism and how that's playing out in the education system and, and really focus on those root causes versus trying to ascribe um, an individual level narrative to why those students aren't performing well. So I think that's something that we also have to keep in mind <clears throat> you know, using data as a spotlight and not a hammer, we're not trying to necessarily place blame on any particular people, on any particular organizations, but that we really have to uplift, you know, who in our community isn't doing well um, by focusing on, on this equity piece and giving support and resources to those in our community that need help the most. And I think that that begins with really identifying who those folks are um, and Allison, I think you said something really important that it's about expanding opportunities for access. So we've heard communities say, you know, stop telling us, stop asking, about, stop asking us about everything that's wrong in our community, but help us figure out what's working right. And so what does it really look like to have a thriving community? What does it look like to have thriving schools? It's about reframing that narrative from doom and gloom to really honoring the experiences of community. And so I wanna talk about for a second, how we, how we begin to use data to scale up projects that are working in our community and really focusing on that, that asset-based approach um, of, of using our power to really collectively vision where we wanna go as a community.
2: Yeah, Sylvia, I, I love that question, and I love this lens of using an asset-based approach to really scale what's already working in our community, because we we know we, we there are things that are working really, really, really well in our community to um, contribute to really great outcomes, and so how do we look at the assets that are already existing in community and really understand the pieces of them that are working well? what what pieces of the programs that are really improving outcomes, like what about them is is working? And how can we take those pieces and really expand them, really understand them, understand what's driving those outcomes. And once we understand that to kind of test it out in another another place or another program to see if it gets the same outcomes. And if it does, if it gets great outcomes, how can we take it even bigger so that if you think of it kind of as a starting out as a smaller circle. So we're reaching a certain amount of kiddos with um, a really great practice or a really great policy or program. Um, And then that bubble starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger until ideally every child and every family has access to that really really great thing that we know is improving outcomes for our community and the cool thing about using the asset-based approach is that there are learnings that um, folks in community have who are implementing these practices who know how they can who know how they work for their community and we can instead of just using kind of these outcomes data we can use um, lived experiences from folks who understand why it's working and who can kind of help inform on how we scale these practices up.
0: That, yeah, that's such a great thing to add to. And also think about, we're, we're trying to scale up the things that are working. And then when we're looking at the things that aren't working, being really innovative and creative and challenging the status quo to really rethink what those things look like in community because we know that they haven't been working. And so we can't continue to, to pour time and resources into those things. So how can we really be innovative and creative? And I think that also really starts with giving voice to community because they have some really great ideas about what would be helpful for their community. Because like you said, those lived experiences, they have the context um, for those experiences and work, what works really well. So I think beginning to incorporate that along with the quantitative data is a really great way to begin um challenging the status quo and challenging the the normal routine of how how everything happens
2: mm-hmm. yeah if, if you i love the way you said that like people know what's working for them and people know what's not working for them and you and i both know what's working for our families and what's not working for our families and so using that information and giving power to that information um, is is really, is really powerful.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I can't remember exactly where I heard this, but someone said it's about seeing families as whole and data begins to help us paint that picture, but seeing families Mm -hmm. as, as whole beings with, with stories and with meaning. And I think that that's so empowering. And then you couple that with data, and that tells such a strong and powerful story about what's happening in our community. And I think that's something that's mm-hmm. that's really beautiful about this work and about the work that's happening right now.
2: Yeah, I think the way you just said it gave me uh, a visualization of of how we use data. Um, and kind of how we talked about before that, that outcome data that we usually point to that one statistic is kind of the, the last page of a book and using community narratives and um, other supporting data is building out the, the rest of the book so that we can really understand a full picture of what's going on, um, which is a, a really cool and powerful thing. Like you said, it's, it's kind of magical in a way. It's really exciting
0: yeah and I think that that's really this this epiphany that has been happening over the last year and also more broadly in our community and nationally is that community voice is that missing puzzle piece is that last page of the mm-hmm. book, but it's so crucial you know think about reading a book and just the last page was torn out of it like mm-hmm. like how does it how does it end? you know how does the story end in I really think it just brings everything full circle because we're doing mm-hmm. this work for our students and for communities. So it, it makes sense that we would incorporate them in the process of decision-making, of developing solutions. And so I'm really excited for, for what that work is gonna look like and how that's gonna shape in the coming year, because I really think it is just so important and it's valuable too, to our work as well.
2: Yeah, if we've been creating solutions and doing work without community and family voice for centuries, and we still have the outcomes that we have, so I think, like you said, it's a really, really crucial piece of moving forward. Is families, students, and communities are co-designing solutions using lived experience and supporting data.
0: Yeah, I think that's so powerful, Allison, and. I, I thank you for coming on the podcast and really talking about that and spending this hour with me, talking about what it means to be data-driven and to also begin partnering with community um, to co-develop those solutions. So thank you so much for joining me and for bearing with me through the process of recording a podcast on Zoom and just during a pandemic. So thank you, Allison.
2: <laughs> thank you so much, Sylvia. I really enjoyed our conversation.